Hi everyone and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today and don't forget to come back every Friday for a new episode with special guests from the leading companies in the supply chain. On this week's episode, I talked to Matt Gunn, Director of the Industry Strategy at Slink. Now, Slink.io is the first logistics operating system purpose-built to orchestrate collaboration, automation, and multi-party interaction across the global supply chain at scale. So this is a really exciting podcast for you guys. I hope you enjoy. So firstly, Matt, can you introduce yourself, kind of how you began working in the supply chain and what led you to working at Slink? Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Emily. And I know that's a mouthful on the intro there, but uh, you did well. (laughs) So I'm a little bit of an outsider to supply chain. I've been in the space for, oh gosh, I guess the better part of the last decade and have been extremely lucky to get the exposure to it that I have. But um, I'm a journalist by trading. I started out my career um, after university as as a reporter covering technology and covering... um, banking and finance and all of those things. It was always kind of an outsider. Um, And so as I kind of followed my own curiosity in, I found that um, um, my skills aligned really nicely with um, this emerging area in technology around supply chain um, and this need for more people that could communicate and do content and really kind of interpret some of these very complex things that are happening. Um, And so that was my big shift there. Um, You know, I've been lucky to have been with a couple of big companies that have um, gone from late stage startup to um, an acquisition or an exit. Um, GT Nexus was where I started, which is one of the big global networks for supply chain. It was bought by Infor. um, And I really grew in that space. I got to um, um, take on many roles um, at GT Nexus or Infor Nexus as it's known today, um, and then expand out across some of the other Infor supply chain stack as well. Um, growing into a role as a product marketer. Um, over time, um, you know, I think that um, as you get into big companies like that, you always kind of get this itch to take on a new challenge. So I was at Llamasoft for the last couple of years, um, which is um, a big global analytics um, web provider and um, digital twin sort of network uh, that um, was recently purchased by Coupa. So um, today I'm at Slink.io. I'm really excited to be here. We're a young company, um, but we have started with some very large companies um, uh, as customers or clients um, coming from the logistics services provider space. So LSPs, um, those that are kind of the intermediaries, moving freight, kind of taking ownership of um, responsibility for um, the movement of cargo um, as it travels around the world. So very specific kind of space and supply chain solving a lot of the challenges that live there. Um, I guess my first supply chain job, when I think back to it, is um, when I was in college, um, I worked for uh, the Colorado Rockies Baseball Club and so became a certified forklift driver at that time. And part of my role was receiving items that were brought to the team or to um, the um, ballpark and would take that to our small warehouse within the stadium. I would put things away. do um, picking and packing when it was needed for events, um, like kidding. So um, as I think back, some of the earliest things that I learned in supply chain happened when I totally didn't think of supply chain itself. Um, And I've found tons of just opportunity to continue learning, I guess, ever since. Absolutely. And obviously, we spoke kind of before pressing record here about how we both kind of fell into the supply chain. I think it's a really awesome point, kind of, um, you may be working within the supply chain or questioning the supply chain without even realizing it. 
And I think over the past year, we've definitely seen that. So that's something we're definitely going to touch on slightly later. But for now, I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on um, Slink's kind of key missions and what challenges do you help customers actually solve? Sure. Uh, At Slink.io, I think we're really dedicated to just driving outcomes, better outcomes for these massive global logistics service providers. Um, You know, I think for us, it's, it's important to be able to become a partner to these companies and grow with them, go on a digital journey with them. Um, we're solving a lot of challenges that um, traditional systems alone can't do. So we work in between these areas where um, there's a lot of expertise and there's a lot of you know very great software, whether it's you know a, a TMS or a warehouse management system, whether it's um, a visibility uh, control tower type of platform like in InforNexus. Um, you know, our place is to help people sort through all of that structured data and sort through all of the unstructured data, the messy mass of information that is constantly flowing as you are trying to uh, book freight and move freight around the globe. Yeah, and that's something I want to touch on, actually. I'm wondering if you could talk to us about um, this kind of real-time problem-solving that you provide and how you leverage data to actually ex- assist in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that for for a lot of um, software vendors in the space today, um, you know, everyone talks about data. Um, for the last, you know, seven or eight years, data is the new oil. We've seen a lot of a move toward these cloud technologies and um, toward bringing people into this more expansive and connected view of the supply chain. Um, however, you know, I think that there is this need for context in whatever area of Um, your operations you're trying to solve. Um, For us and for our clients, for the people that we work with, it's not about necessarily that end-to-end supply chain going from demand sensing and supply chain planning all the way through execution and last mile. It's truly about where um, the execution happens um, and in the processes that take place there. Um, You know, when you think about it, there's a lot of ways that you can use data Um, and data comes in a lot of forms. Um, For us, we kind of think about who it is that's using the software, um, what their role is, um, and how they work. Um, And we find that as we get to know our customers and work with them closely, that sometimes the old tricks are still the best tricks. Um, People um, tend to communicate an email over phone calls. Um, uh, They do a lot of work and, and a lot of just tracking information in spreadsheets, and that's kind of a mess. Um, so how can you extract that data in a way that is meaningful or how can when something changes um, you take action quickly um, today you know we see so much um, headline news right now about um, the container shortage about uh, this big boom in imports um, whether it's you know from China to Europe or China to the west coast of the United States and with that there are only so many vessels on the ocean at any given time and only so many containers and it's hard to get them these days it's more expensive to get them and when you can get space on a ship for your containers you have to be able to move fast and if that container gets rejected, that tender gets rejected by the carrier. You have to quickly find an alternative. Um, so when things happen, when an exception arises, or is there a change, those are often communicated in, again, those very messy forms of data and email. Um, and, and when you think about those that are trying to move things in the supply chain, they're people. Um, you see so many emails in a given day, sometimes you might miss one. It might be critical. Um, so we're helping make sure that those things don't fall through the cracks. 
Yeah, definitely. And I suppose um, talking about data, it's all part of this kind of industry-wide um, shift in digital transformation and adoption. Um, so I'd like to just kind of touch on what kind of technologies do enterprises need to effectively transform their logistic operations to be kind of efficient and effective, especially during these times? Obviously, you can touch on COVID here slightly as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know about you, but I think ever since I've been in this space, I've been hearing about digital transformation. Um, mm -hmm. ERPs have been <clears throat> around and running for, for 30 something years people have been using them um, warehouse management systems tms um, all of these other systems exist and i think for a long time we've been selling one form of transformation or another um, in the supply chain space it's it's just it's so complex and so ripe for for you know change that um, the word transformation to me um, doesn't mean what um, <laughs> it doesn't mean to a vendor what it, maybe it means to an enterprise that's looking to change and it certainly doesn't mean uh, the same thing to the people that are in the trenches running the supply chain every day um, so uh, when I think about digital transformation um, you know it, it just begs that question like of what um, are you changing the process are you changing the way people work are you changing the technologies and why are you doing it um, if you lead with a technology like so many vendors do um, Sometimes the you know a technology-driven transformation um, for any new and emerging thing will um, you know just be there and exist in and of itself, um, which you know isn't the right reason for change. Um, so to me, I think transformation has to have context, and it doesn't always have to be this big and massive thing. And often, what you find is that the systems that are already in place are very good at what they do. Um, there's a reason that a lot of companies have um, an SAP ERP. Um, one, it does the job well, and two, it's very expensive and very hard to change. Um, you know, the TMS systems, warehouse management systems, other kinds of systems are pretty well entrenched. Making change and, and change that sticks is extremely hard, so doing it across the whole supply chain is a challenge. Uh, when, when you look at a logistic service provider, um, especially you know some of our core customers um, it's kind of that analogy of um, you know you're trying to build the plane while it's 30,000 feet up in the air um, you can't stop and you also you know have to work with what you've got um, because it has gotten you this far um, you know it's just it's never complete um, and so because you know our, uh, these massive companies can't stop to change to make wholesale change of their systems um, and because they have already invested a lot of time and effort into getting the systems that they use today to work and have strong vendor relationships um, i think that some of the ingredients exist what doesn't exist are means to capture that messy data those interactions those human interactions um, to better understand the policies and the um, um, processes that happen um, in your operations um, that exist between multiple communications and multiple systems um, and then you know make those quick decisions into what you can automate and what you can use to help your people drive better outcomes um, and at the end of the day if you're not coming to a place where you can measure what that change is um, you're not doing any sort of transformation for the right reasons.
Absolutely. And I, I want to touch on what you were kind of saying there towards the end of like existing technologies within um, enterprises. And obviously there's a lot of hype around these emerging technologies like machine learning and AI. Obviously automation is, is huge and we're, we're definitely going to touch on that as well. Um, so I want to ask you, are logistic, logistics providers at the point of being able to effectively leverage these new emerging technologies or should they just focus on what they can do today and maximize their existing systems and improve their processes that way? Um, yeah, AI, um, anything that's data science driven um, has been tremendously buzzy and I come from that space most recently. Um, I think a lot of logistics service providers aspire to bring the best technologies that they can to drive better outcomes for their own customers. So those big multinational shippers that they work with, that they're entrusted with um, their cargo, moving it from one shore to another. Um, but when you get caught up in the buzzword bingo and you know the the <laughs> um, alphabet soup of AI, ML, <laughs> BPA or BPM, um, RPA, etc., um, sometimes you kind of you know get lost in the hype. Um, Yes, you should evaluate all of the technologies available. And yes, there are promising areas for some of these technologies. Um, when you think about demand planning and capturing all of that internal and external data and finding patterns in how you um, plan, procure, and optimize your solutions, I think that yes, there is an opportunity for things like AI. Um, you know, ML can help you speed up um, a lot of things um, that are taking place within your operations, absolutely. Um, and things like robotic process automation, which um, you know have gained a lot of traction once you've found those, those practices, those, um, those um, processes are great at accelerating those and helping you automate some of them. Um, but think about what's there on the other end. I think that um, if you think about it from just an exciting new, you know, big hype technology um, that maybe hasn't proven itself out, you need to really take a hard look at it. Sometimes, you know, as we've seen in areas like blockchain, it can spend years being a, uh, you know, solution looking for a problem to solve. Um, and those problems might not be practical or pragmatic right now. Um, so work with what you have and look for other ways in between, I think. Um, to maximize the value of your current investments. Um, and then, you know, especially when you're doing things like AI, there are very specific use cases that you can do them. Find the right ones because those use cases don't always scale and they're not always repeatable, um, um, especially in the AI world. They can be very specific um, and very helpful in certain areas if applied the right way. Absolutely. And something I want to touch on actually is kind of this... Um, what I spoke about in the intro, multi-party interaction and kind of collaboration. So um, naturally, the supply chains are incredibly complex and um, no two are the same, if you will. Um, so I'm wondering if you could kind of answer how the industry as a whole can kind of drive greater collaboration, you know, with different systems and different companies and all these complicated processes that do take place um, every single day. Um, how can we leverage these kind of collaboration tools and, um, you know, keep keep um, a kind of streamlined, fluid kind of communication trail, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so question for you, when you're planning the podcast and reaching out to guests, what's the number one tool that you use? I use email, Google Mail, yeah. 
Um, there is no single system for that. I mean, maybe you have Exchange servers or maybe you're using Google Mail or some other kind of vehicles. But, like, it's very human nature to just send a note over and um, to hope that someone on the other side is going to respond. Um, and especially when you're working with someone outside of your own company. I think internally we have a lot of tools, Microsoft Teams or Slack or, um, you know, even communication within your own CRM where you can kind of um, be able to communicate with people inside of your organization. But once you try to bridge that gap outside of it, even if you're working in a CRM, the thing that you end up turning to is email or a phone call or maybe you send a document over to them uh, so they can sign it or view it or respond. Um, that's largely collaboration right now um, between these companies. Um, to your point about no two supply chains being the same, you're absolutely right. I think um, something that you do see a lot of in the space is, is these um, ecosystems that are being built, this sort of utopian view that maybe there is one single provider that can have most of the solutions that you need. Um, and those are all modern and, and bring the best technology to bear and built in the cloud, et cetera. Um, Having been in that space, I think it's a great vision, but even within some of those technology providers themselves, they're putting together a lot of pieces of disparate technology that don't necessarily communicate with each other. Um, so there's one problem there. When you go beyond your own supply chain, and, uh, and really I think you know, we're still in this world where 80% of the information that you need to run your supply chain exists outside of your own enterprise. It exists with your suppliers, with your LSBs, with your... Um, warehouses and consolidation um, facilities um, at factories and at banks. Um, it's going to be messy. And all of those businesses have their own needs and they address those needs with their own set of technology. Um, some of them love their on-premise systems because it's customized and personalized to their, pers their exact need. Um, and that's great. It's very hard for someone to leave those types of deployments where They've been with it for years, and it's been, you know, almost rebuilt um, on-premise to um, bring all of these very specific requirements to their employees. Um, getting someone to move the cloud where it depersonalizes it is hard. Um, so you have to accept that world that it is going to be a little bit messy and that you're still going to fall back on those, those very human forms of communication. Um, the machines aren't all going to speak to each other. Um, you know, just by um, wishing it were so. <laughs> so <laughs> in that space, you know, um, finding out what those processes are, working through those processes, understanding them, there's a few different ways that you can work to do that. You can bring in things like um, process mining. We've seen growth there. Um, it's not necessarily our space, but you know, using AI and ML to identify those processes and policies that exist between systems or between companies is, is becoming um, something more popular. Once you discover what those processes are, how can you drive them? Um, how can you find out which ones you can automate and then, um, you know, which ones you can augment people so that they can work smarter, work better, so that you can deploy the right people at the right time for the job that um, needs to be done. Um, that's an area where you know, giving people the technology to support them is critical. And then letting them work in their own way, in a way that makes sense to them, that doesn't disrupt them or make them have to learn new technologies just for the sake of it. Um, and keeping it as natural and human-focused as possible is how you're going to be able to drive the collaboration and communication um, between enterprises. Um, you know, I think that we talk a lot about 
changing the supply chain, nearshoring, reshoring, doing all of these things. But um, the one fact that remains is that we all depend on this very complex and really interconnected ecosystem um, to procure, plan, and and uh, make and move goods. And actually, um, I'm, I'm interested by what you said there and kind of talking about streamlining the supply chain still, but kind of taking it take looking at it from like a human element rather than a technology element which is what I was going to ask about but now I'm kind of curious um kind of what are the key benefits here in um streamlining kind of business operations um and kind of how does that factor into human human input and kind of um is this the key factor to it um to actually streamlining is it is it humans is it a mixture of that and technology you know so can you just kind of expand on that slightly yeah, um, I think we'd love to automate as much as we can. And I think when you automate processes in the supply chain um, and use different machines to execute it, there's only so far that you can go right now. Um, supply chain, like it or not, has always been and will remain um, you know, a very human enterprise. There's a human at the beginning of that. Um, that is sending out these demand signals for a particular item or product. Um, there are humans that are still involved in getting the raw materials, moving the raw materials, making those into something. Um, there are going to be humans involved with moving them across the world and assembling them at a final factory or location. And then there's always going to be a human at the very end who is delivering it to uh, that person that wants the item whether it's a business, whether it's a consumer, um, there's always going to be a person at one end or the other of the supply chain and then most of the places in between. So, you know, I think that something you have to remember is that um, people are sometimes creatures of habit when you're trying to drive change with new technologies or systems, that change can be extremely hard. Um, behaviors are learned and um, sometimes people will craft their own process to get the job done and it works for them. Um, it's not repeatable and it can be a little bit messy. So in the areas where you can identify the process, um, use the right technology to accelerate it and then give people um, tools to either help them identify things in their process that may be off or wrong or that could be improved um, is an important thing to be able to do. Um, and give them information that they can then act on um, when it gets outside of the boundaries of that clearly defined process um, is an area that, um, I, you know, for me, has to be, you know, inherent to the technology. Um, if, if it doesn't help people do their jobs, if it doesn't naturally integrate with their daily lives, they're going to either reject it or not use it. Um, and today, you know, how much time do we have to train people on new systems? Not a lot, always. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting point, and it's something that um, I, I love to touch on, kind of the human element of the supply chain, because as much as we talk about technology adoption and digital transformation, at the end of the day, like you said, point A to point B, you know, humans are kind of running this process. Um, and and kind of something that we can touch on here slightly is maybe COVID, Um as it has literally affected probably every human around the world. Um, I just kind of want to ask um, maybe what was the impact of the pandemic on um, 
technology adoption and these kind of processes that we had in line and what was the key disruptions here that, that you saw? Yeah, this you know, it's from the lens and from where I sit, I think that those of us that are focused on solving these problems from a technology standpoint um, have naturally sort of seen technology as the answer to these challenges that we're experiencing with COVID. I think that, that you know, it's, it's not the fault of, of a vendor per se or a technologist that you want to solve it that way. How it's been bearing out with, say, an LSP or, say, a shipper, it's a little bit different. They start with their people. They want to protect their people and keep things running at the same time. Um, they want to do their best with even more constraints than they ever had before. Um, and a lot of that work isn't necessarily being done with technology right now. I do think there's a movement to reevaluate supply chains, to rethink them, to bring more resilience and agility into it. And you hear that from a lot of different places, um, that that has become one of the greatest needs um, for companies as we emerge, hopefully from this pandemic soon. Um, and um, that can be any number of different disciplines that come into play. Um, in the supply chain. You might just be someone doing a lot of math to figure out how you're going to optimize locations and network so that you can get things to people faster. And that's okay. You can do that with a computer. A lot of people will use a lot of spreadsheets for those <laughs> activities um, because that the data that you need to do the math exists in a lot of different systems. Um, I think where we're seeing a lot of activity is in the recognition that these operations can't stop, um, it does require a different type of system. Um, again, kind of, you know, like we talked about earlier, that inability to stop the supply chain um, because you still have to get the job done. Um, it still exists in COVID times. Um, it hasn't gone away, and now we're working with less than we ever had before. Um, at times, less people. At times, less supply. And at times, just, um, you know, less time, <laughs> so to speak. And... Um, so we have seen some urgency um, in solving these these problems that exist between systems that that do call for technologies that can help people um, run a process that can help people bring more information in um, and act on that information quicker. Um, a few different ways that you can achieve it, but um, certainly for us, it's a mix of different technologies that um, that come into play when you're trying to to you know integrate with systems, um, bring in a lot of different data from structured and unstructured places and and make better decisions quickly. Yeah, and, and kind of keeping on the topic of COVID here slightly and, and thinking about the phenomenal importance that the supply chains have now to a kind of, you know, perspective, everyone's perspective, everyone knows the supply chain or and kind of how it works and, you know, introducing the vaccines and kind of um, ventilators and such. Everyone, even my gran is talking about the supply chain. So she know, you know, everyone knows what's up. Um, I'm kind of interested to ask whose responsibility is it to take action on, on kind of enhancing the supply chains? Um, kind of maybe touching on, you know, consumer demand here is something that we saw um, was incredibly, incredibly prominent in COVID. Um, but also the, the kind of big guys are running the supply chain. Whose job is it to protect from these future disruptions? That's a great question. Um, 
it's a shared responsibility in some ways. Um, but yes, I agree with you. I think, I think people cared about supply chain before COVID, but they might not have had the right words for it. Um, Amazon set standards with two-day shipping in the United States or two-hour shipping if you were in the right city. Um, and now so many others in the retail space are working to solve that problem or have solved that problem. Customers drive a lot of expectations and um, there's a lot of optics um, that came into play in the last year that um, it was suddenly hard to point fingers at why that existed. So people learned about supply chain and its role in making and moving things like toilet paper or currently in making or moving things like the chips that go into a PlayStation 4 so you can entertain yourself better while you're stuck at home. Um, <laughs> and now I'm hearing maybe even ketchup, um, those little ketchup packets that we all just sort of take for granted in takeout restaurants. Um, are, are at risk. <laughs> so yes, when I got into this, no one knew what supply chain was. I used to podcast too on the show called Supply Chain Radio. And it was, it, it, you know, it was funny because most of my family like, you know, that sounds really neat what you're talking about, but I have no clue what that means. And now all of a sudden it's become so personal and it's become personal in words and, 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 and in optics that people can understand and recognize. And then they start thinking about what that means. I think that consumers will drive some change I think that no one wants to be in a situation like we were in in March and April of last year again. Um, and I don't think a lot of businesses want that to happen either. So I think that um, um, you have a lot of consumers that uh, take action with their wallets. They'll find alternatives. You have a lot of um, enterprises that are, you know, the makers of these goods um, that are rethinking how and where they supply these products, um, whether they continue with sort of this lean you know, inventory strategy and lean production strategy or just-in-time manufacturing or whether they rethink what inventory is. And then when you rethink what inventory is, you know, maybe it means you need more warehouse space or you need, need to relocate certain items so that you can distribute them faster or so that there's something on hand. There's a ton of questions that are going to happen and it's a shared responsibility. Not everyone owns those factories where things are made. Certainly all the way up the supply chain where the raw materials are produced, that's often coming from yet another business. There are very many nodes and um, tiers of the supply chain that you only get so much control over. So um, if change is going to happen, it's going to be from um, consumers demanding it. It's going to be from these businesses, these enterprises that... Um, rethink the shape of their supply chain and how they procure things and and also from logistics providers and carriers in you know how they can make sure that they can dial up the capacity when they need it uh, when there's surges in demand um, or change their plans quickly so that um, you can prioritize one thing over another in times of great need um, so there's a lot of that I think that you know regulators are, are are starting to look at it too. I think that's good. Um, you know, there's only so much that regulators can control when it goes outside of their own boundaries. Um, and, um, you know, at, at this point, we're so well entrenched into this idea of a global supply chain that putting it all, you know, the rabbit back in the hat and sourcing and making and moving things all within one border um, seems like it is a, very tough challenge to um, ever fully um, achieve. 
Um, so out of recognition for that, I think that yes, governments can only do so much, but um, it's going to rely a lot on the people that are making and moving things um, to, to really drive effective and meaningful change. Yeah, and kind of looking um, on the back end of COVID slightly, and maybe, th you know, we're now um, in the UK, I think, uh, pretty much all of our adults are vaccinated now, um, which is super exciting. So we're kind of, um, you know, things are looking up. So looking uh, to the future slightly, I'm wondering if you could kind of touch on um, what we can expect in terms of these kind of um, kind of disruption management and kind of technology adoption um, and maybe as well touching on the human element of the supply chain and how this is going to change kind of um, going back into the office and how um, this uh, communication and collaboration kind of stays afloat. Yeah, the UK has done a great job with vaccinating its people. Uh, you know, in the US, we're not there yet, um, but we're, we're starting to see a lot of hope. And uh, personally, mm -hmm. I can't wait to travel again because a vacation sounds great right about now. We're seeing family is, wouldn't be so bad um, or maybe even meeting my coworkers for the first time in person um, and getting <laughs> off of Zoom <laughs> for once. Um, it'll be a great break. Um, when it comes to freight, I can't wait for people to travel because it means that there's going to be more belly space available in airplanes so that some of the capacity challenges that we're currently facing to get things on ships or to get things into planes um, will start to solve at least a little bit um, as you have more people traveling and moving around the world. It also means that your supply chains can move better. Um, um, in, in terms of the technology adoption, I think we'll see some acceleration coming out of this. Yes, everyone's had to do the best with what they've got right now. Um, I think people will reevaluate what they have. Um, that'll start with their networks and how they, you know, optimize the way that their supply chain is built. Um, but also, there's a lot of work to be done on the execution side. Um, like I said, unless humans are fully removed from the supply chain, which I hope never happens, um, there's still going to be a need to give people the right tools to do their job better. Um, to be able to put the right people in the right place at the right time. Because it's the only way that you're going to move goods um, and get them to the right place at the right time is if it keeps track with the physical side of the supply chain. Uh, the movement of goods around the world and those constraints of having ships available or people to um, book the, the cargo on those ships or to unload those ships or to move them into warehouses or down the last mile, um, I think that we'll look for solutions that will help us achieve those goals better, to streamline it a little bit more, um, to bring the right amount of technology and automation in, um, but um, always within that context that we want to drive outcomes for our people to help them be more productive, to get things done faster, to touch less information and surface the right information to make a decision um, and simply to, to, you know, give better assurance, confidence among your end customer, especially logistics providers where it's the differentiation is, is on their customer service and what information and value they can drive to those big shippers um, in a meaningful way. Amazing. And kind of as a final question, I wanted to ask if there's anything you wanted to um, kind of say or relay to our audience today. Um, I, you know, I think it's been <laughs> quite a journey. I think this last year and a half, um, even pre-COVID, we were seeing unusual things happening in the supply chain. Um, 
where we have no capacity today or no containers. You know, 18 months ago, we had too much capacity and too many containers. So finding the right balance is still going to be a tough thing to achieve. Um, I'm not sure that there is a normal anymore. Um, this is a never normal time. And I think we have to accept that and, 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 and live in it. But um, it, it also means it's an exciting time to be in supply chain and to be around this space because uh, the challenges never end. Um, so um, yeah, anyone that's working to solve those problems, look for someone that's going to be a good partner to you that's in it for the journey that will take you forward in small increments or you know over time a large amount. Um, and look for ways to maximize you know, and do the most with what you've got so that your people can um, get the job done. Absolutely. And I kind of want to take that and, you know, put it in bold and underline it and be like, now is a really good time to get into the supply chain. Um, it's, it's a really exciting space. And like I said, we were talking before, I kind of fell into it and um, it's, it's definitely changed my perspective on just pretty much everything. Um, so I hope this podcast has been uh, a good space for everyone to kind of learn and discuss so i'd like to thank you matt for coming on today um amazing conversation i really appreciate it and all your insights um i always like to say i hope we can kind of carry on this conversation on our linkedin and and continue to be a kind of uh supporting platform of the supply chain absolutely emily it was a pleasure to be on the show um i've enjoyed listening to your past episodes and and really hope that this brings some more value to to your listeners Brilliant. And I absolutely will. So yes, thank you so much. Um, I hope you have a lovely day and I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye.